Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. So you got Ryan Buchanan, former Ole Miss quarterback, here on his usual weekly spot to talk about what he liked, didn't like from the offense against A&M, what he needs to see more of against Alabama, um, some route concept stuff, Jackson Dart making plays with his feet, the art of a QB spy, and a whole lot of other stuff that I think you'll find interesting and kind of relive some of that uh, 2014 Alabama uh, what just everything about that day so good conversation i think you'll enjoy it but before we get to that though wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by ray stevens real estate with agent with square real estate in oxford whether you're looking to buy or sell in the oxford area ray has you covered he loves putting people in homes that they will cherish forever whether you're looking for a two-bedroom condo or a five-bedroom dream house he can help you find something that will fit your needs he loves providing individual service to each and every client he understands your needs, and he's going to find you some options, whether you're looking to buy, looking to sell. He can pair you with the buyer if you're looking to sell and move to another place in Oxford. Maybe you're looking for a extra weekend home. Ole Miss 8-1. and one. Things are pretty good with the football team. Tired of paying for hotel rooms, having to find other places to stay. Just go buy your own place. Ray Stevens, you got it right here, a podcast, a podcast real estate agent that's going to take the hassle out of that for you. All you have to do is is give him a call at 601-624-4824. The home buying and selling process can be complicated. Let Ray take the hassle out of that for you. Let him provide you some options based on what you need, based on your price range, and boom, he'll get you set up. Old Miss guy, known Ray a long time, wouldn't send you to people I don't trust. Check him out. Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate, 601-624-4824. Give him a call. Tell him we sent you, and he'll get you set up. 601-624-4824. Broker number is 662-832-7777. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gaming handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Channel, an advanced monitoring mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the st- sports handicapping industry. Skybox, rolling into this NFL Sunday, 20-9. and nine. You know who isn't 20-9 and nine in their last 31 NFL games? Probably you. They're on a 21-9 and run now after the London game. How about that? We'll get some more numbers for you later in the week. They offer two free play winners if you listen to the Friday podcast. Ohio State, Penn State over, Miami, UVA under. Boom. Skybox is rolling in the money right now. 62-unit weekend in NASCAR the other weekend, up 200 units on the year. It's time for you to stop paying the bookie. Go on to skyboxsportspicks.com. Find a pick package that fits your price range, and then use the promo code RIPPY. R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. They send it to you in a nice email, color-coded spreadsheet. Boom. Got the units out there. You are set. You are more equipped to make money than you are five minutes before using Skybox. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Use that promo code RIPPY. R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. All right. Here is Ryan Buchanan. All right. We now welcome on Ryan Buchanan, former Jackson Prep star, former Ole Miss quarterback, all-around young man. What's uh what's happening, dude? You're uh you're in town this week on the office grind. What's been up? Man, yep, in town. Uh I've been actually well flying out of flying to Chicago tomorrow for a quick one day work trip and then coming back Friday and uh then yeah, then, then looking forward to the big Alabama weekend the following week. Yeah, that's uh it it seems like that game is kind of picking back up some traction. Um, even nationally, you know, I, I heard it mentioned on game day, like if Ole Miss got by AM and set up a big one in two weeks. I feel like people are kind of down nationally on Ole Miss for good reason after that LSU performance, but that's kind of the one we're all waiting for now. And let's take a look back at the AM piece of it. Ole Miss goes in there, they survive, I think, in every sense of the word. Um, 31-28. They beat a really talented team despite the program seemingly being in shambles. Um, and as it pertains to Dart and quarterback play, it's so funny. This entire year, like when he plays super well, or what we think is pretty well, like the stat line doesn't reflect it. And then when he had like, you know, an average-ish game against Vanderbilt, of course it showed he was like, you know, 20 and 25 for like 480 and four touchdowns because Vanderbilt couldn't tackle anybody. It's been like the inverse in terms of his stat line versus how he's played this year. But we'll start there. Um just general impressions. I thought he played really well in this game. He was under a ton of pressure. Ole Miss didn't really have much semblance of a pocket. That A&M pass rush is one talented, 
too pretty fierce, but just how did you think he played in this game in general? Um, man, I think he played really, really good. Um, Jackson, I, I love, I love seeing his athleticism and that, that, that's not talking about his legs when he scrambles out in a third and eight, third and nine. Um, I'm talking about really his arm angles, um, his anticipation and, and really seeing his quarterback passing abilities. Uh, it's, it's been really, really fun to see. I mean, I don't think he's not a guy that struggles with, uh, with accuracy issues. I mean, maybe a little bit on a, on a long ball, a little too long here or there. Um, but he's really gotten better at our slants across the middles, our getting the ball out quick. Um, you know, now if we throw like a deep over to Mingo and has enough time, he'll lay that one out, you know, like he did uh, to Malik in Kentucky. It will show good touch on that. Um, but, man, yeah, he's playing – He's playing really good, uh, and it's just nice to, to see him, you know, when they go a two-man and they're not leaving a spy watching him, and we usually don't block too well in the passing game on longer down-and-distance situations, and he's able to get out and, and get, tw- you know, 10 to 12 yards and dive for a first down um, because of him being able to run on, on a broken-down pocket. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of that kind of kept Ole Miss afloat in this game. I think one of the seminal moments was – um, Ole Miss gets a stop to open the second half. AM has a really good punt, backs up Ole Miss to their own six. They have two pretty impro- uh, unproductive Judkins runs. I think it was no gain and then a loss of one. And you're backed up third and 11. Um, really, if you don't get the first down, and they hadn't had a ton of success in the longer passing game to that point, if you don't get a first down, you're giving AM in all likelihood one at best favorable field position, but probably a pretty short field to potentially have a good chance to go up 21 to 10. And at that point, Ole Miss hadn't taken control of that game. That game felt super shaky despite the defense getting a couple stops before the half. And then of course a huge one to open the second half. And the play kind of went to win awry and Dart picks up the first down with his legs. And that was really huge. And they end up scoring on that drive in part, largely part to uh, thanks to three A&M personal fouls, but a three and out at that point, I think really changes potentially the complexion of that game and he just kind of willed them to it. And there were other points in that game where he kind of did the same thing. And I hate doing the corral thing every week because anyone who got tasked with this job of replacing a Matt corral, it's an impossible job, but it did have similar Tennessee vibes where when all else was failing, he just kind of willed them to keep drives alive. And I thought that was super impressive in an environment like that. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's just going to be interesting to see. I, I really don't believe many defensive coordinators, at least going into this year, and, and really knew that he could scramble for a broken down first down. They have not been spying him one time. That that all comes to a stop when Alabama puts a spy on him and they can play man coverage and play bump and run defense with a five-star DB. And that's could put, you know, I mean, push us out of bounds and lock us up. And then you try to take off, you're getting, you're, you're done. And I don't think teams really accounted for that because I feel like we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, they're covering us downfield and then he gets out and runs. And I, I think that's a pretty quick defense adjustment. I know for a fact because it's happened on three big games Kentucky, LSU, um, all a little bit of Auburn, but, you know, obviously in AM that Nick Saban's going to see. And it's not going to let that happen, is what I'm saying. And I don't expect they will let that happen. Well, that just changes our entire – that means we're going three and out a lot. And it's going to be a horrible offense unless we change something. Um, because, look, as a matter of fact, I mean, talking about that possession, and we got some – I don't know. I swear this year we have had the most penalties fall our way and the most bailout penalties fall at the right time than I've – one of the best years we've had on bailout calls at the right time. Um, and kind of things go Ole Miss's way. I mean, obviously, it started with Kentucky. Um, you know, just a couple ball spots here or there. Like, man, we're we're catching the breaks this year, which is which is nice. Uh, it's nice as an Ole Miss fan. I feel like there's many years went by without that. But, um, yeah, I mean, what I'm talking about, um, trying to avoid these third nine situations and, and Jackson scrambling, and there's really no one spying him, and, and he can go right up the middle, and, and they, next thing you know, it's a first down because we have deeper routes. I think that's a quick defensive adjustment that somebody can make, especially Alabama will make for him. Um, and I'll just kind of roll into my thoughts from a 30,000-foot level. Um, you know, I, I, hopefully people, if you have been listening to this, realize, you know, my head is not all in the clouds. It's probably more um, 
uh, you know, a little more stringent and, and, and tight over watching our offense than just it, it being happy about an Ole Miss win. Um, about personally on this game, I about pulled my hair out watching yeah. it. I, I could not, I couldn't take it. I mean, we we barely beat and slipped by a kid that was playing high school football um, a year ago, and we shouldn't have been in this situation. Look, I'm not going to speak on the defense. I know we let up a lot of big plays. I'm not a defensive guy. I've, I've studied offenses. I've, we've reviewed film on other schools to take our offensive plays when I played at Ole Miss. So like I, I know a little bit about the recent schemes that you run in college football. Regardless of defense, I about pulled my hair out on our offensive play calling. And we we, we did the same thing where we love revert batting, revert going back to. We end up, we come out, we have a big stop by the defense on the second half. What do we do? Run zone up the middle, stop the line of scrimmage. Fantastic. All right. Their, plant, their linebackers aren't spread out that wide. Uh, we could have leverage on them on the outside with a real two-step quick out uh, by Mingo or by anybody or a bubble route, and that keeps them, uh, at least the linebackers' eyes peaked out there. Well, let's just run up the middle and let's get stopped again. All right, third and nine away, Texas A&M. Um, and we get, you know, look, sometimes we'll throw it up, get a pass interference, or we're allowing Jackson – when everything breaks down, we don't look, we can't put ourselves in these situations because our line is not blocking three to four seconds. I mean, we know that it's been proven. Um, so why do we put ourselves in these situations is why I'm getting frustrated and we get lucky with Jackson finding a hole. I, I said it. If, if you watch the LSU game, that's the one time I've seen this year on that first drive. It's exactly everything that I've been wanting to see. And we did it again on the second drive and we've done it a couple of times. Look, there, and it's not just throwing the football. It's when we throw the football. It's the tempo that we go to avoid, you know, to, to create less problems with the offensive line because we're not going to block and they're throwing different fronts and we give them time to shift their front. And within a, a second, the offensive line that's trying to l- learn to play together has to realize who's picking up who, who's the free man coming. And we get in these situations because we're giving them enough time. And and, and, again, when I say about, talk about going fast, it's not just out of control going fast. Let's start out on first down and throw a two-man route into the boundary, short side of the field, quick high-low, a smash route, a hitch with a corner over the top, and, and you know, a slant with an out, just real quick stuff. All right, if we hit that, um, great. We're in second and six, second and seven. Then let's look at running possibly. But and then maybe third down, if we're in a third and short, I feel good about that. I like being third and one to four. I don't like keep being in third and eight to ten. That that's what I'm getting so frustrated with and why we're not succeeding. And and then, you know, you convert that on a third down run. Well, let's do a play action over the top on first down and you have them on your heels. Another thing, look, every once in a while, I mean, we have the best running back back right running backs in the country with our duo combo. Quinchon's going to pop one or Zach's going to get around the outside and they're going to pop it for eight to 15 yards. Well, when they're running back, let's take a play action shot right after that. Well, this is, we just go back into running it up the middle, getting stopped. And we play, we play, I feel like we're playing from behind. I've seen too many second and tens, second and nines, and then obviously third and seven to 10 plus. And the reason I'm frustrated is typically, I mean, think about this for all the Ole Miss fans listening. We have insane talent. I saw someone say the other day, this may be the worst Ole Miss team we'll have in years because we're going to be so good into the future with our talent. I see that. Our play calling is bringing us down on offense. Now, I, and I, I'm not, I think Lane, in tw- 20 yards and in, coming out of a timeout, he has dialed up some beautiful plays for touchdowns. One thing, you know, we've seen us put in is fake the toss sweep to the front side with the wheel, right? Yeah. And we hit that wheel. Well, okay, we converted on it earlier in the game versus AM. Well, in a key time that in the third quarter that we didn't convert, we ran the same thing. They covered it. Okay. They, they we we run the same play, very predictable. And they had a linebacker matched on him by the time he crossed the line of scrimmage, faking his out before he turns up. I mean, Jackson had nowhere to go with the ball, threw it behind him, looks awful. We're going to punt. And we get predictable. And I, I just and I think to not be predictable, you don't have to overthink and go slow. I think keep that tempo going. And I paused the TV. I don't know when it was. It was second or third quarter. It was when I was getting frustrated how many times we went three and out or we have one first down that we punt. Is I could pause I could pause that screen. I could see that defensive back playing six yards off and the strong safety at 10. We we threw a bubble. They're on the bubbles every time. It's on Jackson if he wants to throw it. And it keeps guys, you know, 
keeps him honest a little bit than just hanging, watching Quinchon constantly and staying further inside that box by throwing one. One time we did, I forgot who it was on the outside, did not have a great block. We got one to two yards, but even just throwing it keeps them so honest is what I'm trying to say. That safety is playing a little bit further outside and we break through that defensive line and Quinchon's on the secondary. If he's one step behind, he's popping it for 40 yards. But guess what? They're going to keep rolling that safety down into the boundary and playing lower because we're predictable and they know what to do at the right time. And it's going to be hard for him to pop it through the second level when we just go run, 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 pass, run, run, run. And 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 that's all I'm saying. I want to speed up the tempo. I want to throw more on first down. If we get a first down, maybe a play action pass on the second, you know, our first down and distance after that. And I just that's it worked. I saw it versus LSU. And last thing, it it helps the quarterback. It, it's not even questionable how much easier it is to play. How many times do you see quarterbacks who struggle all game in, in college and NFL, just like AM's quarterback, who's what is a freshman, has never played college football? How good did he look when he went two minutes? Looks great. And I mean, every quarterback looks good. It's because your mind is running fast. You get in a rhythm, you get in a rhythm with your receivers. It's hard to get in a rhythm when you go every single first and second down, you're trying to run one playoff tackle and one up up the A-gap. And then you're like, okay, third and nine, they're all playing off, which is harder to create separation. And it's harder for the quarterback, especially for a quarterback that doesn't have the best line in the SEC blocking for them on a big third and long situation when you need more time. If you throw these quicker routes, and I'm not saying quick routes like bubble screens. I mean, it could be a six-yard hitch. It could be a corner route that's broken off at eight to ten yards. Like, that takes one to two seconds. We will – I just – got to be more balanced. And, and and I'm telling you, that's why I pulled my hair out because I see that we have talent. And for years, Ole Miss, you know, I could say, like, man, like we can't – our athletes are not like theirs. I know Lane has made some comments, like, maybe one of the bigger defensive line. Like, I agree. Maybe a five-star left tackle. Like, hey, I agree. But athlete-wise, with our wide receivers and with our running backs, and our run blocking has been good all year, it just needs to be a little bit less predictable. And then all of a sudden, I think we can see our talent shine. And, I mean, if it's a man coverage and they have a safety in the middle of the field and, and Jackson has a chance to throw one to Mingo, there's, there's a good chance you'll get a pass interference. It's a quick 15- to 20-yard throw. It's not some go route down the sideline or fly route. It's a catch one step throw up. You go back shoulder. You go over. And just, man, you're keeping people honest there. If we just try to do the same approach versus Alabama – it will be ugly. If we take that approach we took versus LSU coming out to start that game, I would love our chances because I feel like that plays with our offense so well. Sorry, that was a long way about it. Been wanting to get these thoughts out for about four days. I've been holding them in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's, it's fascinating stuff. And you mentioned the tempo aspect of it and sometimes it resulting in predictability. And Ole Miss has gone fast, like you mentioned, the start of that LSU game. And they did it at points in this game. I thought they made some effort at certain times to go right. faster. But you're right, it wasn't maintained throughout the game. Cole Kubrick, I was listening to him. I don't know if it was during this game broadcast or watching one of the like Twitter film breakdowns he, he does. I can't remember where I heard it. But he mentioned as an offensive lineman, one of the things that's tougher about tempo is you get up to the line of scrimmage and you just go. Like you don't have as much time to kind of read the front or kind of look at what you need to do blocking-wise. And they have struggled, particularly as it pertains to pass blocking, particularly on the edges, right? You have the freshman tackles. Do you think they're hesitant at all because of what, how fast they have to process as an offensive line, or does that play into it at all? No, I heard Kubik say that, and I was thinking that point too. So, And I guess what I'm saying on throws, like they could be run blocking, okay? Yeah. This is throwing a pass, okay? Like this run blocking, they're blocking down, right? They're sliding to the right. There's nothing to think about there. So that's great, and 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 I and and but those can also be quick throws. Okay. If you you can you, you got to call the right tag routes and the right hot routes with them. Like that's a scheming on the offensive coordinator and Weiss and Lane to be able to do that. And if you start seeing like guys are playing, I don't think Alabama plays press a lot. I mean, we called for that. A and M. The reason like Breeze always put up a lot of points first them, they played off so much. You could hit a quick slant because they're playing four yards off or just a two step hitch every single run play and. We don't we didn't do it one time. I mean, maybe one or two times. I'm sitting there and I'm pausing the TV. Like, I mean, I've been in that situation. I know what we've done. You can throw that, and there's nothing on the offensive line. But if you you know if you get up there and you're taking your time trying to line everything up, and you have a run play called, I mean, the the DB's not hustling back and getting set real quick. May not be as good time, right? But if it's coming off a you get under nine, 17 to 19 seconds, and then you check out there. I remember one time they were kind of late 
getting a strong safety to rotate down to the slot receiver. They're a little late. I would have said, clap my hand, snap that ball, give it to me. Let's go hit the hit the bubble route because they're late getting over. You could pop that for 20. And because they're late and I see it and let's go, I'm aborting the run. And I'm not trying to not run it, but that opens up those big holes when you do the next yeah. play. And if you just say, like, no matter what, I'm going to hand this ball off. Look, they haven't proven to me we've gotten stopped so much early in the possession. I mean, I, it, you're bl turning a blind eye if you don't see it. I mean, we pop these runs when we're coming off, you know, a play action or it's a little less predictable um, or it's late in the game and we're already up and the team is tired. Like, yeah, that's when we're popping them. But, yeah, you're right about the offensive line not getting set. If it's third down and seven plus, you're not going to rush that. Yeah. You're going to take time to make sure are they bringing six or are they bringing five? Are we going man versus man? Or are we sliding to the right, sliding to the left based off where the safeties are rotating? That takes time. I, I totally get that. If you don't want to do an art, like kind of go fast and not want to do an RPO, you know, a run blocking type screen throw that you have to get out before your lineman gets downfield. Most of those, I mean, you don't have to go lightning fast, but if you call the route into the boundary, which is your short side of the field, it's so easy for a quarterback to see when it's two on two. I mean, it's very easy. The safety sitting in close to the middle of the field, and it's just two versus two. I, I can go set hut, one, two, throw. And it's about right there. And and I think if you now if you go to the field and you have a three-man route out there with three slants or something like that to that degree, it's a little bit harder to see to the field being that far away. Your eyes aren't as close to them, and there's more trash in your way. I could see that. So you can do it, but you got to call the right passing route combinations. You can't go fast, which I've seen us too, and then run a deep over route from one slot to the complete other side of the field, which takes a long time to get to that other hatch, and then Jackson's scrambling. Not a good time to call that. So it's, it's just – I think it can be done, um, which I'm telling you, that first possession we did versus LSU, those were the type of routes that he called. Blocking yeah. was not an issue at the time. And you mentioned some of the, like the the aspect of like the bubble screens or the bubble that they're running there or the quick slant where the run yeah. like, offensive line is run blocking when you have the option to throw it. How much of that? I know it's hard like to know this for certain without obviously like being on the field and knowing the scheme and playing in it. But how much of it do you think is the fact that they're not doing it and they're not calling it, or their option is there and Jackson's just handing it off because the naked eye does just seem like a lot. A bunch the of options guys. there. The options there. At first, I thought it wasn't. Okay. And I think earlier in the season, it actually wasn't there because I saw them just trying to block. Because, like, I mean, sometimes you may have a counter. Let's say you have a counter run or a really wide off tackle stretch. You need receivers to block on the outside. Now, when we go up, if we're running away from the receivers, you know, off tackle to the right, receivers on the field to your left, they really don't need to be blocking, right? Yeah. If we're running to them, so that's the time where you, let, let's keep them out of the play. Let, let's keep those linebackers a little bit wider. And I've seen – I mean, I would get so frustrated because clearly it's not working what we're doing to where I would watch – I would rewind and watch the top and see, do they have anything tagged? And they do, and it's there. I mean, a two-step slant to Mingo at 225 pounds, that's going to be hard to bring down. Um, so, I, I just – it's not – look – I'm not playing. Kevin could say we're aborting all that. We're not, I don't want you throwing those. But a few times he has the, the following plays after break or, you know, it, it seems like one time we got – we didn't block on the outside too well, and that scared the heck out of us. What uh, what did he do to do? We had a one-yard gain. How many times have we done that running up the center's butt all mm -hmm. the time? And – but, again, what that does, it keeps the, the – the, the defense outside the box is a little bit more honest. And two, we just got so scared as if it'll never work again. Yeah. It, I mean, hey, like you can't play like that. So I don't know. I think I think we are adding them now. I mean, at least in AM watching that, like and LSU, LSU Jackson threw more of those. He threw more of the tagged, the tagged short passes and screens. He really did. At least in the first half of the game, he was. I mean, I was I was elated. It was what I told you I wanted to see and it worked and I was just thinking like this is how we have to play when you have a defense the way we have the offensive line is not you know they haven't been played together for two or three years like this is like what you have to do for kind of where our team is and play to our strengths because I think we are strong at wide receiver I think we're really strong at running back and I think we're a pretty good run run blocking team it's just got to be we got to keep the defense more honest yeah no absolutely it makes a lot of sense and 
in this game in particular, you talk. I want to go back to the spine piece of it for a second because you mentioned Alabama's yeah. spine, a whole different deal. For quarterbacks, like I, the inverse of this was against Auburn. I had people around me during that game when Robbie Ashford was running pretty well. Like, why aren't they doing a spot? It's like, well, I'm not. I don't know if they are or not, but they're not idiots. Like, I think they might be doing it. It just might not be working. Um, for quarterbacks, like, how do you beat a spy? Because in, in, in most of the time, it's some member of the secondary, whether it's a nickel husky guy or seemingly like a linebacker that's spying you. Are there ways that you're taught to, like you can beat it? Or is it just as simple as making a guy miss? Like, are there things you can do to beat a spy? I mean, it depends. Like, if you look, if you take off, and I think why Robbie, if we did spy him, why he got out, he was breaking runs on the outside. He's significantly yeah. faster than Jackson. Like, Jackson's a different type quarterback. Can he run? Yes. But, like, he could get on the outside of that tackle, and that spot is usually going to be tucked in the box. Think, imagine this if a middle linebacker or someone's going to replace him looking right across the ball at you and watching every movement. He was so fast, 4 5 40, he can get outside and outrun that, uh, I feel like, because, you know, he can kind of get lost behind the, the lineman from a linebacker's perspective. A lot of our runs have been step up in the pocket, take off right up the middle. Yeah, If they're sitting there waiting on you, I mean, you just have to make a move. I mean, but I don't think Jackson – Jackson's a great runner, but he's not going to cut like a running back. I mean, I couldn't cut like a running back. I could kind of weave – you know, weave and not get tacked – you know, kind of fall forward, which I think Jackson does well. But, like, a sharp cut on an Alabama linebacker one-on-one, it's like Oklahoma. I, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. – you're not going to see uh, th- that – that's what it's going to have to do if you go up the middle. Now, sometimes, you know – once you get on the outside and he's spying you, you know, he may not come up, you know, he may be playing back and looking at defense. You just got to find the guy and play the scramble drill. It's a scramble drill to the sideline and your receivers, hopefully you're going to realize that and break off their routes and get open. I mean, that's what Aaron Rodgers was waiting on for that rookie uh, the other night when he got outside of the pocket that they could start adjusting like Devontae did and get open that way. So, typically we've been up the middle. I think it's going to be real tough if we're breaking these runs up the middle if they go wide and contain us. It's interesting. You were talking about kind of the predictability that Ole Miss has, and they get into a lot of second and third and nines in the running games out there. Like, it's weird to say that in a game where they rush like 390 yards. I know. Yeah. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but, no, but you're, you're, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I was texting with Weldon throughout the game, even before, like, when it was really looking squirrely for Ole Miss and the offense was getting bogged down. And we were sitting there like, what are they going to do? the run game isn't there. It just wasn't. And again, I know it sounds weird when you run for that many yards, but the game has ebbs and flows, right? You can still have a successful overall rushing attack, but there's points in the game where it's we just- we got a lot, of, a lot of those late too. I yes, mean, a, a yeah, lot of yeah. them late. And they deserve credit for it, but it is interesting in the fact that there were pieces of that game where it wasn't there and they kind of survived. But I do think you're right against Alabama. They're going to have to find ways to be a little bit more creative when that's not there. Like, I don't think it's going to quite- work the same and I'm interested to see what they tried to do to fix that we haven't seen a ton of the running backs getting involved in the running uh, the short passing game either you finally saw it for one degree where they had that crucial third and 11 toward the end of the third quarter they're up like I think 17 to 14 this is the drive they go down and make it 24 14 they went to timeout before and I'm spending the whole commercial break I I, what are they going to call here and they got Evans going the opposite way of the rest of the play, right? And you had Mingo or someone blocking out there. And it was a huge 23-yard gain and a huge conversion. I feel like in some ways, like, we've been waiting to see more of that. Like, do you think that's a possibility as you get Evans more healthy? You know, Bentley was the most proven pass-catching back just based off raw stats coming into the year. Evans didn't do a ton of it against uh, at TCU. Judkins, you really had no clue. Kid's a high schooler. Like, do you think we'll maybe see more of that? Is that a way to get more creative and supplement this? You know, you see so many teams – in particularly in the NFL, run that kind of angle route with the co- uh, the running back goes off the top right. and over the middle. That seems so difficult to stop. I hear announcers every week, particularly former players, defensive players, talk about how tough that is to stop. You haven't really seen much of that. Is that a way that could kind of implement some more creativity and pass on non-obvious passing? Oh yeah, well, that, hey, that's a quick route too. You know, yeah. I mean that that's a that's a quick route. I mean, it's usually going to be a play off the Mike linebacker if he's kind of shaded to one. You know. I definitely think – I think that's great. That takes, one, you know, two seconds maybe, two to two to three seconds to, to develop, and you can hit that pretty quick. Um, I, will, I would like to. We got – we just – I guess the whole thing I'm talking from a 30,000-foot level, like I think we can add in some really cool plays at the right time to a game that we – and our, our hit percentage of making those work have been good. Right, you know what I mean. Like I think they've been good. I think Lane draws them up for that week. It's our base offense of down to downs, 
you know, having what everything I talked about incorporated in our in our normal base of our offense a little bit more to balance out, more so than like adding something for a new week and a new set and a new formation if we're inside the 30 kind of deal. You know, like I can't really speak to a lot of that. It's just incorporating this stuff into our base offense where 70% of our plays come from, you know, inside a base formation. Um an 11 person personnel or whatever that is like we need to that's all i'm saying so like i think we can add creativity i think angle route stuff like that getting out wide i'm just all about playing on the perimeter when it comes to alabama because we have really good perimeter players that would be dumb for us to play inside that box yeah absolutely and one of the aspects of it too is i know in a kiffin offense when he has a good tight end he loves to use him and Ole Miss has lost michael trigg and i know he was swimming a bit even when he was healthy but just he commanded more attention we talked about this before it's clear. Look, our guy Casey Kelly just vindicating against the haters. He did catch the touchdown. My goodness, that was when that ball went to him. I said, I said a little prayer for him. <laughs> have another one right yeah. now. <laughs> you got to catch this, but it is. You got to catch this one, bud. That they're worried about the tight end aspect of it because you actually saw Mingo twice. I don't know what happened after the first drive. I stopped paying attention to it, but lined up at tight end with his hand in the dirt, like a traditional tight end. You've seen him yeah, on an H back before. Clearly, they are kind of trying to supplement that, and they don't feel great about what they have at tight end, right? Even after Casey Kelly, it's true freshman Malik Heath, and then a bunch of walk-ons that aren't really tight ends. They're just kind of check the play, or you know, it's not a, it's not a. You don't really have any other options. They have what they have. Do you think that could be possibly some of it that's slowing up? Just the fact that they don't have that option at tight end, as you know, your close friend Evan Ingram was a huge, huge weapon in under the freeze offense. Do you think the fact they don't have a tight end could contribute to some of that, despite all the talent they have on the perimeter that you yeah. mentioned? Um, it could, it could, but like a lot of these screens we have were always two wide receivers. It was like, yeah. it was, um, it was a two by two set. I mean, they would either stack each other first guy blocks. I mean, look, yeah, Evan, I mean, Evan wasn't catching these slots in these screens. It was more Quincy out of boys. Um, sometimes he would be that front blocker, but Mingo is big enough to block. He's the same height and weight, like for a quick DB safety block. I'm talking, yeah. get on the pads and turn him to the left or turn him to the right. And then the guy that's stacked behind him, depending on which way he turns, I mean, hopefully you turn him to the outside. You take one step to the inside, catch it. It's literally, I snap the ball, hits my hand, slinging it. You turn that guy, and that's like a quick six-yard game. I mean, so quick. And I didn't, you didn't really need Evan for that that much. I mean, just because I think Mingo's big enough to um, – and it could be. I think it could be. But I've just seen too many times to where, like – I mean, I'm looking at the secondary on TV. How many yards off are they? And not just how far a DB's off, because if a safety is kind of – walking outside the hash and he even if these start the db starts at five which is kind of an in-between no man's land you're like i can throw that you take the snap and you throw it well he can bite on that because he has a safety coming over the top you don't really know that you know you don't know that you're you're guessing that i'm saying the ones where is obviously he has no back support like you can tell pre-snap he has nobody over the top to help him if he gets beat which means he's got to flip his hips yeah he flips his hips you can hit that so, like, it's not just saying, oh, he's a five-yard throw it because people taking, you know, like Mike Hilton would take a risk on that and pick it off. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. So I, and those are outside. Those are one situations, you know, with, with Malik and one a little bit. But I still think just looking and watching at least on TV the last couple of weeks, like there have been opportunities, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And then – Kind of on the flip side of that, you talked that we talked a lot about like, is it there? Is Jackson just not throwing it? If they said abort, abort, they're not doing it. Um, you know, part of it was the fact that I don't think there was a full trust in him as a 19 year old freshman coming into the year. And that may be even more exacerbated on the road, but he's now gone through two road games where he's only turned the ball over once. And it was that interception at LSU where he gets hit. You've been waiting too long. So more of that is on him. I thought that was an interesting point you made. Um, you know, waiting too long to yeah. make it, I could see. Do you think some of that is all right? Like, do you, could they sit there this week during the bye week? Not that they really have any choice if they want to compete with Alabama and say, okay, like we kind of like there's trust building there. We'll we'll try to give him a little more. We'll give him a little, little bit longer leash. Do you think that could play into it at all? Uh, yeah. He look. He's he's had a, a almost a full season under his belt. That yeah. it, his brain. It, it's. You know, I, I think it's absolutely imperative at this point to say give him free reign to throw. If you feel like, you know, a two-step stop route that you can throw on his outside shoulder and flip. I've seen 
Jackson flip his hips quick. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of stuff that I've trained and we David Morris at Kitty Country. When we're doing we're not always throwing routes, man. We have more drills than you can imagine of keeping a wide base off an RPO, you know, ride, play action, flip completely to get your feet set, then make that quick hitch throw, which I saw, you know, they made a point he doesn't always get his feet set, which means he could need he probably needs a little bit more flexibility. And training, I would say, in all season of flipping and flipping and flipping and landing real quick. Because he doesn't always flip around to close that left shoulder. He may have that left shoulder open a little bit, which means he's gonna some of that's going to die on his ball. Um, but that's that's something you can fix in the offseason. I just think they got to let him got let him go, man. You, you got to absolutely let him go. I mean, I, I think it's at home. I mean, it's it's a fun game. Um, hopefully we can have pretty good weather, you know, in two weeks. And I just it, – it, you don't have another option to say, well, he may not be ready. There is no other option. I don't – I don't. that's the that's the approach I would take. But, look, I'm, I'm not getting paid billions of dollars, so don't take my word for it. We'll get back to Ryan Buchanan in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip. For 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage, just walk into LB's, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you the Rippy Right special there. And boom, your uh, grilling weekend is off to an incredible start. Then go find your own favorites. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious sausages, seafood. I like the filet burger. Get some tri-tip there in the mix. It's got seafood, all kinds of different options, different cuts. Lane train special, six-ounce bacon wrap filet. Just awesome, awesome stuff. It's the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Ryan Buchanan. And then now to like the good aspects of the running game. I mean, my official analysis was Quinchon Judkins' beast. Uh, just, in, I mean, you've you played with a lot of good running backs. You watch a ton of football. Uh, just what are your impressions of the kid and what makes him such an incredible runner? I mean, talk about putting the team on his back. Evans, although Evans was really impactful in the 10 touches that he did have, but he had 10 touches and could only go 26 snaps. Kiffin mentioned in the post game, like, you know, I didn't know if he could go. Then he kind of gave me a wink pregame. I was like, all right, I guess he's going to try. Like, I know what that means. But just as it pertains to Judkins, just how impressed are you with what he is as a, a newly minted 19-year-old true freshman? I mean, it's it's so cool to watch. <laughs> Look at those yards. What's he next to? Herschel Walker. Yeah. Um, and maybe Walter Payton or something. I mean, I couldn't remember exactly who the, the stats were, but it was like, is this real? I mean, the, these are revered gods over here in, in college football running backs. And and it's, it's just like, oh, my gosh. So, Quinchon, I think, is what it is. Like, look, he's not Bo Scarborough. He's not 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". I mean, he's, he's, he's short, but he, they said he was a power lifter in high school, lifted a lot. Um, but he gets north and south, and it's hard to tackle. I don't care if you're – Five eight to five ten, and a running back with that build of a strong thighs. I mean, I've I've been around Saquon a couple of times. He's not tall at all. I mean, Saquon. I don't know whether they listen. I made five eight, but like, obviously, he's really hard to tackle, and he can cut left and right. Has huge quads. Um, he gets downhill really, really quick, and and it blew my mind how he never goes down on that first hit. A lot of guys like to shake a little bit. And, and, and have to wait. Like Jalen Walton was definitely a little bit smaller. He didn't have the build. So he had to shake and be patient before the hole would open up and attack. Quinshawn can hit it quicker. And then, and yes, he can cut. I mean, Zach Evans, it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious to every fan. We're playing, we play him on the perimeter for some, you know, he goes outside and then off tackle and a gap in the middle. That's Quinshawn. I think Quinshawn um, is better at cutting when he's running north and south. And Zach is better cutting, which is a lot harder when you're running around the outside wide to be able to cut a sharp cut back inside because you're not really going north and south you're running kind of toward the sideline at an angle um but yeah Quinshawn is just he's just so all powerful and it's going to be unbelievable to see how his body changes by the time he's a junior I mean we obviously I think we're going to do everything we can to keep him the Grove collected collective uh made that pretty obvious yesterday for many reasons uh Lane included so yeah we got to do everything we can to keep him this guy's can be one of the most special running backs of all time and then the Evans piece of it, you, we talk about like being less predictable. It's very clear. Look, he couldn't go at all against LSU. Ole Miss ran it like 30-something times for 110 yards at 3.1 yards a carry. He's able to give them something in this game, and all of a sudden they run it 63 times and they go for 390 yards. And you can see it's evident. You mentioned running him on the perimeter. Like the creativity, like passing game aside, it seems like they can do a ton more with both of them healthy because they are different runners. Do you see it the same way? 
Yeah, they, they complement each other great because they're not the same runner. They really aren't. Uh, I love seeing – like I mentioned, I mean, Evans gets on the outside pretty darn well, and it's easier for him to cut back from running east and west to get back north and south. And Quinshawn's more north and south, and he his speed – so, like, I would say Zach may have a sharper cut, but the difference in Quinshawn, I saw this in game one just from watching Ely, watching Jordan Wilkins. I mean, watching all the guys that have played for us in the last seven years. When he cuts, Quinshawn, it, it's sharp, but he gets back north and south. His speed, his explosiveness to come out of a cut and then cover ground is what makes a difference, not just making a guy miss and then you got to pick up your speed again. He can hit the hole hard cut to avoid an arm like have an arm tackle on him and then get north and south and explode to his top speed um quicker than most guys and that was like I remember watching that first game going I think it was central Arkansas like there's something different here I mean yeah. and I didn't know who he was never I had no idea I'm just a fan I'm like there's there's just something different here and that's what it is absolutely and as we, I kind of want to talk to you about some bye week stuff. Um, Ole Miss needed this bye week. Clearly, they played nine straight weeks of football. They're really banged up, particularly on the defensive side. But obviously, they, they have some offensive injuries too, whether it's Evans or some, you know, I know Dart was dealing with some minor stuff, and there's clearly some ailments on the offensive line a little bit as well. In terms of how you feel coming off a bye, I know it, like, look, if you have a broken collarbone, you know, a week is not going to make a huge difference in terms of how you feel. But just in terms of the nicks and ailments of a physical grind of an SEC football season, like, just in your own words, having played, like, how how much of a difference can that make in just not having a week where you have to go play 60 minutes of an SEC football game? How much fresher do you feel coming off a bye? Man, I can't even tell you. Uh and look, you know, I didn't start, you know, for six, seven games. I just play with these guys, live with these guys, um, you know, and being a quarterback, I would be in every single room and know every position. Um, yeah, your legs are fresher. Your brain is fresher. It doesn't feel – I mean, I definitely remember this. It's a long season, man. I mean, you yeah. start – literally you start August 1, and you and I talked about this months ago. You, you lose what day it is because all you do from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. or 8 to 10 p.m. It's like football, and it does not stop. You know, you get to the season, you get to play on Saturday, and it's rewarding as anything, but, like, your work, your Sunday afternoon, you're in football all day, you're watching film all Monday, and you practice and hit Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, I mean, like, when you have an off week, it, it goes away from feeling like a job, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just – it's just at my job. I have no choice. I have nothing to do anything else. And it's fun and rewarding on Saturday. But you almost – you lose that feeling toward the end of the season of being like, man, like I get to go play a fun sport. But when your body recovers like that, it changes everything completely, especially being on the road back to all these last couple of weeks, man. I mean, you're adding the fact that you get a break when it's much needed at, when our bye week comes. Love it. We got to – I mean, bye weeks in the fourth week are worthless. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is so awesome that it's late in the year in the middle of our SEC schedule. I mean, I, this schedule, I can't, whoever got to design it needs to get a raise because it's unbelievable for so many different reasons, regardless of our out-of-conference opponents. Um, just, But, yeah, man, having this and then throwing the – look, if you, if there's a time to beat Alabama ever or a massive upset, it's it's coming off a bye week late in the year. After Given they your, 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 on the road. Yeah, then you throw that. They could have some key injuries – and then they got to go away. So not so playing Alabama after a bye week and coming back home after being on the road and it being late in the season, it is it's going to be fun for these guys to play. It almost gets me excited thinking about that feeling. It's a yeah. different feeling. I mean, I remember that feeling of being like, man, this is like relaxing this weekend. Like, I, I you you go back to high school, the feeling of playing high school football. It doesn't feel like a job. You go back to doing something you love when you come off the bye week. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great answer. And the, I, one of the one of the things I wanted to get to is I find it kind of funny. Lane clearly doesn't like Jimbo Fisher. It's not a Lane oh, stir, I love it. stir in the pot. It's not like but this game proved it in the comments before and after. And even like on the Monday press when he was like, hey, I've never had a coach not come shake my hand. I stood out there. He wouldn't shake my hand. Uh, you know, I uh, kind of had the clown chirps after Jimbo called he, he and Nick's. I thought it was hilarious. Lane called Nick Saban a close personal friend. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> and, so I, wow, and I didn't take too well to that. But oh, man. under freeze, is it ever – not that it's explicitly mentioned in practice or in a locker room, and honest to God, with freeze, it may have been the other way around. 
when you're facing a team in a program where the head coach Cody doesn't like the other guy, can you guys sense it at all, or is it just business as usual? He's made any comments or not. I mean, like he was always trying to be friends. He was a guy who always wanted to be liked. He wanted to be liked by everybody, liked by Eric Church, liked by other coaches, liked by media. He's li- like that's like I didn't like again, but that is his motto, I guess. Yes. Getting liked by keyboard enthusiasts who live in their mother's basement, like that is how he is. So like yeah. he's afraid to ever say anything, and then you here comes the long lane saying what? I mean, what's so cool about? It, I text my state friends, and I'm like tell me how you don't like this guy. Like, I mean, I like they can't say anything. And like, I love the pirate when he's talking about world war two or whatever. He's talking about dinosaurs in the middle of a, after a post game <laughs> interview or something. Um, and I was like, hey, how can you not like these two head coaches complete opposite of Dan Mullen, his asshole. And then freeze who is, well, you know, just the guy that's like wants to please everybody from an outside perspective. Right. And then you have Lane come in and says what the country thinks. Like nobody likes Jimbo. He's doing a terrible job. And if he, you know, it, it is what it is. So, I mean, I, I, I love those comments. I mean, Freeze doesn't have anyone like that, completely different personality. But, like, because Lane is so nonchalant and chill, it's, when you drop these little zingers like this, it just it's just fantastic. And I know everyone in the SEC loves it, too. And then he goes to bat for them in the game. Like, he's chirping at a player, and I know a p- people didn't like that. But if you get the context of the moment, I thought Lane actually dropped some pretty interesting wisdom on this post-game presser about how actually a part of it started with the fact that he thought they were going to call a legal man downfield on the pass, or I think it was technically a run that got the guy into the end zone. And he was like, I had an hour conversation with those dudes at the SEC office about how that's not actually a foul. And then all of a sudden I think (laughs) again, so he's heated in that moment. What I wanted to ask you, and I know freeze was different, but I don't know if you ever played for a head coach or an assistant like that. Does it charge dudes up when you have a guy publicly going to bat for you and your team on the field like that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. Like, I mean, Lane was always such – like, if I played for him, I mean, the whole media knows who Lane Kiffin is. So, it's so much a bigger personality, like Freeze coming in. So, if if Lane Kiffin says something, it's going to hit harder. Yeah. And that's just because of his background when we hired him. It's going to hit a lot harder and be like, you know, I I would love it that, like, turn on Sports Center and first take whatever, and they're talking about Lane's comments. Like, and it's going to be for you. They actually pay attention to it. So, it is pretty cool, like, having him go to bat like that, especially – he says things fans agree with and also like players too. Like he doesn't care. And but luckily he's built his personality around someone who doesn't care what he does, like a 78 yard field goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then the last thing kind of on this note is obviously the Auburn rumors start swirling up again this week and he's their number one target. Yep. Freeze had some of this. I know it was a different situation, but there was some Florida flirtation or some Florida interest, if right. I remember correctly, in 2014. Inside a building, is that ever actually a factor? Kiffin mentioned it's never addressed, um, but you do have to address it in recruiting because it's used against you. But in season, does that ever come up? Is it ever any sort of – like, is it anything inside a building or are you guys having so much to deal with it's just a non-factor? What is that like when your head coach is coming up for other jobs? That all comes down to the head coach. When that was happening with Freeze in 14 and we had a chance – we're looking to win the West. I mean, we're in such a good position. Yeah. We already beat Alabama. He's not – yeah, it wasn't a problem. Like he was, he was there every day. He didn't change it. He didn't go take a flight, get me with an AD. And he's showing up to practice late. The offensive coordinator is now coordinating practice with a defensive coordinator, and he comes a little late, right? Like that, that would be a problem. And I think that could be the case that we had four losses under our belt right now. Yeah, or three losses. You know, he may be doing that. And I'll speak a little bit to that subject. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm here to give my thoughts or whatever, and yeah. so I'll, I'll kind of speak a little bit to this. I, I think. Uh, I'm praying that he's not going to do that, right? Like, he's not – and definitely won't be there this week. Well, I don't know. The bye week is going to be interesting. If he leaves, then that will cause some problems. If he's not at every single practice, if he leaves, it causes problems. I've heard from some people that was on the team and coaching the staff last year, he was going on a Wednesday somewhere on the jet. I mean, that wasn't even recruiting. So, I mean, I, you know, he's got to be there. He gave that to Levy to run the offense and run the entire schedule for the day of a big SEC week. So. He can't be doing that. If he if he doesn't, yeah, it's no problem. Everything stays the same. I just think this is going to come down to his decision. I mean, you can't be in a better position as Ole Miss and as a school being 8-1 and one, for whatever the reasons are. We're somehow 8-1 and one due to what's happened. He's got – he had a three-star just turn into the number one running back in America and possibly in all in – all, obviously in all, all American in his backfield. Um, you're 8-1. You're playing Bama. 
your fans are going to pack it out. Your Grove Collective funds were raised or how many members in one day compared to a month. And, I mean, there's a lot of things going good. But at the end of the day, you know, for all my state fans that are saying, like, oh, he's automatically gone. You can win a national championship at Auburn. Your ceilings, yada, yada, yada at Ole Miss. They are forgetting the fact, and many fans are forgetting the fact, that college football is not the same place as it was just two years ago and the last three decades before that. We are who we are. We are 8-1 because we brought in Auburn and we brought in Georgia Tech and we brought in many different players to come with us because, you know, Lane and our media department has done such a good job to bring in players who are not fitting in at other schools or, or are not happy or a head coach leaves. A head coach leaves typically every three years in college football. And if Lane stays, I think we're going to – we, we can compete. We can get that one big win and go to the West. Like, it's not that far out as it used to be trying to recruit out of high school. It's, it's easier for us if we – because we have the big media personality in Lane. We've had a lot of game days. We've had more national exposure than the last 20 years combined in the last decade for Ole Miss. Or maybe 30 years, 40 years combined in the last decade. So you, you got the transfer portal. That's what I'm referring to. And it's changed, and he can't compete. And I think he knows he can compete possibly for a national championship one day if the cards fall right and we everybody lines up. But you got to remember this. I don't know his contract. I don't know what his buyout is at Ole Miss. I mean, I think Auburn will pay for it. He, all, he probably already knows from spending time in Alabama. From what I've heard, if Auburn is very heavily controlled by the boosters compared to your AD as your boss, and they run a lot of things. So he has – Elaine doesn't like answering to a lot of people. That's it's not a good cultural fit. It's, it's just not, not a good cultural fit for him. He doesn't. Freeze loves answering to people. He loves pleasing people. Lane doesn't. Y'all so, have a lot of uh, also, gray-haired fellas walking around in practice. Exactly. And, uh, and I mean, the thing is, now, look, what if they offer him guaranteed $85 million? And you got it. You got a Jimbo Fisher contract that is guaranteed, and ours is contingent on eight to ten win seasons to get paid. Now that changes a little bit, right? Like I can kind of look the other way and try something new at Auburn. That's the thing. So it's like they offer some just a Jimbo type contract. That's what you got to be weary of. But I also know it does take time. Look, he's built our program up quicker than expected. We've had great things because of Matt Corral and unleashed him to what he could be. I mean, a lot of things fall our way, but he did build it and built it in a pretty fast, quick amount of time. That'll be really tough. It's like leaving a job you've dedicated so much to. I mean, what you takes three years at a college football probably feels like in a normal average American working like 10 years to build or 15, yeah. and then you're going, I'm going to start all over because he's built it up so high right now, I feel like. And it's so that's kind of tough. It's going to come down to how much money they put forward. Um, I just pray he's not going to entertain that too much until the end of the season. We'll see. I mean, I think Cohen's going to come after him hard. Um, but luckily, if there's ever a time to keep a coach, it's right now. I mean, they, we could not get more lucky when that job opened up. Yeah, and I, actually, I was I was listening to Neil and Siski's podcast yesterday on my way home from work or Monday, whenever it was, and I kind of fell in line with their thoughts. They, I thought they articulated it very well where it's like, Auburn historically is a better job, but it's not necessarily a great situation right now. And like the way that Lane would take it, is if they offer him a 10-year Jimbo-type contract where you're looking $90, $100 million. You're now in right. a figure guaranteed. Like anyone's going to look at that and go, oh, my God, I have to take this or consider this. Where the state of Mississippi is obviously combined, uh, con confined by that contract law where you can only have four-year contracts. I think there's some stipulation where hmm. you like, actually okay, you get it to six with some different maneuvering. But Ole Miss just can't do that. Now, Ole Lane's going to get a huge pay raise. He's going to go to $10 million a year. He's going to be an eight-figure millionaire um, after this season, regardless of where it is. I think Ole Miss is going to get him to that point. I think the only way he would take Auburn is if they come up with that sum where it's just like 10 years, $100 million guaranteed. My God, that's $100 million. Like, you just, My gosh. you got to take it. And But there's also an aspect of it, and you're looking at it with Mel Tucker and Jimbo Fisher and this whole aspect of Man. college football changes a lot. Like, is there anyone in the room that's going to sit it there and does. say, hey, this is not working at a lot of places? Like, is there a place that is working? I, I mean, look, of course, Saban's going to stay as long as he wants to. I don't know exactly what his contract is. But there's, there's an aspect of, like, will this actually work? And so I think that's a piece of it, too. One thing I wanted to hit on that you got to a second ago is not even just the uh. lane – is it like, do people do that in season where you have a head coach leave to go meet with someone for a day and come back? Because I think you saw some of it with State in 17. Apparently Dan told administrators halfway through the year, this is going to be my last year. I'm going to be somewhere else somewhere. That can really screw with guys. But do people leave like 
in a week of practice? Yeah. Someone has that happened? Like, I, I, I mean, on an off week, off week, the players would never know, would have no idea. It would just be rumored, like, do you think Lane left somewhere? I kind of heard he did. It would Airplane be tracking from anybody. Season, I mean, yeah, like, players have no idea. You got, you literally are so busy. You don't have one second to think. And, like, you got to get to offensive meetings. You got to do this. And, like, on an off week, or like, you know, Friday or something like that. Yeah, he may be gone. You know, we won't really – you won't really know that. Now, during the week, I mean, you would know – I mean, look, if they said on SportsCenter reported it, obviously every player would know, and that would that would be pretty tough. Um, but you got to see how he addresses the team. I'm not on the internal meetings. We'll see. I just hope he does the right thing and, and ha- makes up his mind pretty quick. And, um, you know, if he does fly over this week, like, it might have been Freeze was gone for a day, honestly, like when it was looking at Florida and 14. I mean, it just wasn't there at practice. So, like, you go through your normal motions. You go through your practice. It's still just as intense as before, whether he's there or not. It didn't bug me one bit. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, they probably would hide it. You would just want to know. You won't be told, like, I'm, I'm, he's taking a visit because it's yeah. reality. Yeah, absolutely. And so last thing before we wrap up and get out of here is just – Alabama, they're similar defensively. I know they were smart with Kirby Smart when you were there, um, but it's generally the same defense. Beyond having just stupidly good players, what makes them so tough defensively in terms of what they do? They have the talent. Uh, they have the talent. It, that's oh, look. That's what it comes down to. Their weight program. They are built differently over there. They are just absolutely built differently. They're bigger, faster, and stronger. But you can't scheme against that. They play, you know, pick routes in the end zone to, to confuse that a little bit, kind of get in the way. Um, Got to go fast first them. Saban's going to want to get his subs in there. He has, you know, three lines of five stars that he can sub in and out on a big third and two. Well, let's not let them get to that, right? I yeah. mean, so let, let's, let's, let's not try to dial up the perfect play when we're playing with the same guys all year with injuries. Don't let them sub in a fresh guy that's 380 that's going to sit over our center. Let's go a little bit quicker. So I, they are – they're tough because of the talent. Um, at least when we played them, I mean, they didn't throw too many crazy blitzes. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, I just think if you go fast, that's what we did. We, we got to avoid a lot of that. And, like, let's say, I, you know, talking about that point, I'm going fast, the line doesn't know where to block. But they throw a blitz. I catch it. And there's a guy coming free. Well, I'm going to throw that screen into the blitz, which they're going to be short of man. If you hit that, you're really popping a big play. Now he was coming. Or, you know, like, you just got to know someone gets there pretty quick. And this is being smart as a quarterback. It's like when Jackson threw that interception. You go quick. Someone comes flying straight through. Probably not going to turn my back and do a spin move and get tackled by the ankles for a 12-yard loss take that loss, toss it, be at second and 10. Or, you know, or something like that. If it's third and long, that's different. But um, you're not going to go too fast. You're not going to go speed fast when you're third and seven plus, third and eight plus. You're not going to do that. You do it on third and one to three or four, and then first and second. What do you remember about 2014 and what that day was like for you guys? Beginning pregame, everything. How awesome was that? Uh, Man, it started with walking to the Grove and seeing game day in Oxford for the first time ever. And so that got me chill bumps to think how this is actually real. Uh, walked through the stadium. The south end zone was packed two hours before the game, student sections. Uh, some of my friends were leaning over the wall in the south end zone already. Yeah. That was pretty sweet because it was the first time for everything kind of deal. The first time our program got to another level. Um, and then we started the game, and and it was really – it was a really e- – I'm not saying easy – team to be our plays were working we would I mean you would catch it and call a swing pass to the running back to the field and they were short of man or they were slid they were lined up in the wrong spot and we called the swing pass perfectly it's a little dink and back you know that that pops for 15 yards like a 15 yard pass and then the next play or two plays later you swing the running back out again pump fake that and then Bo would take it back to the right so pump fake to the field to the left I'm gonna run it back to the right with a pulling guard well, that's open because they were all flying on the swing route and they're short of man. And you got any, I could pop that for 10, 12 yards. That's, that's the game. Like, I wish I got play in. Yeah. If something did happen to Bo, because I felt like I'm, 
I, I would have been successful because we they were doing what we expected. When we would call a play, I'm like watching the free safety. He actually is rotating. They're actually doing this. And when I have a run play called, it's open for me to get through the tackles. You know, like it, it was called exactly what we thought they we thought they would do that year, and everything worked flawlessly. The weather was perfect. It was 75 degrees in October, and and uh, you know things lined up, and our defense got turnovers. So. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a crazy day um, for sure, and, and I, don't, I would probably say took it for granted because like I've made this point at the beginning of the year. I mean, I want to say we expected to win that game that year. We thought we could definitely play with them, but we were already doing pretty well. It was like well, there was a part of you that's almost took it for granted because you're like, all right, on to the next one, but yeah. didn't realize from a fan's perspective how big it was. And now I would, I guess. What happened when Mon- Wonderwick misses that extra point at the end of the game? Does he say anything? Or I mean, you're holding, right? Where you're just like, oh, shit, yeah. we're in trouble here. Like, what what happened? I was thinking, like, I can't, I can't remember. I don't know if anything really happened on that. He just missed it. I think just he just missed, missed it. it. I mean, I, I yeah, I think it's, I, I have no idea. I actually forgot about that now that you made, made me realize that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I was like, well, I hope we can get a stop. Uh, that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> Let's go defense. Um uh, yeah, that was that was wild. You're right. I don't know how or why he did. Yeah, the dude was just automatic, and then it was like, oh, great. Here's how it goes. And then, obviously, it played yeah. out the way it did. He is Ryan Buchanan, and I appreciate the time, as I do every week, man. This is awesome stuff. We'll holler at you again next week. Good deal. All right, that was our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. We'll be back at it tomorrow with picks and probably something else. I haven't necessarily decided what yet, but we'll have one more show for you. Uh, to enter the bye week weekend. Y'all be safe and uh, we'll catch you on Friday.